Well, Sagemont, it is good to be with you again today. I missed you. I was gone for a couple weeks, uh, vacation with my family, uh, went fishing in Minnesota and then and spent a week last uh, week on the beach with uh, my kids, went hiking, which was a mistake because the next day I couldn't walk, um, but I'm back. I missed you. Why don't you open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Let me give you a little heads up, a couple things. Number one, I have a, a couple of friends of mine from Austin today. I've been bragging on you, 930 service. I told them they're my, 930 service is my favorite service to preach for because y'all always amen me a lot. Um, in Austin, they just looked at me like I was an idiot and, and you are, y'all, y'all are awesome. And so don't let me down today. If I say, there you go. See, I told you. And, um, and then, uh, two, want to let you know, be praying for me this week. Um, I got nominated, which I wasn't expecting to, but I got nominated to be the president of the pastor's conference of the Southern Baptist convention. And so every, y'all don't clap for that just yet. Because I got to ask for you here in a second. I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. I, I have no clue. There's a couple guys running for it. They asked me to, to be nominated. I said, I said yes. And so I'll, I'll get voted on Monday morning. Again, I have no clue if I'll be voted in or not. But if I do, then uh, Sagemont Church is going to be putting on a conference in uh, Los Angeles next year in June. And I'm going to need about 100 of you to come help me run it. So uh, as you pray, keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> that uh, I will need your help. And so today we are, um, I chose this text, it's a standalone text. And um, I I don't really know why the Lord led me to this, but hopefully he will speak through us. But it's it's a text where Jesus is, addressing uh, the dangers of a critical spirit. And he's addressing the dangers of cynicism. And let me start by telling you a quick story. I, I typically disciple, um, kind of personally disciple one or two men every year, younger guys. Back in Austin, I was discipling a guy. Um, he was a great guy. He was very involved in our church. Seemed like he was walking well with the Lord. <clears throat> Spent our time together. And then at the end of our time of me discipling, he left and went to another city, got another job. And when he left, he called me several months later and he said, Matt, I have some news for you today. He said, I want to let you know I'm no longer a Christian. I'm like, great, I I did so good at discipling you. Um, I said, man, what's going on? He said, what he said to me was fascinating. He said, Matt, he said, I've always had doubts about God. I've always had doubts about God. But he said, what I've done is I've watched Christians over the last several years. He said, man, you're great. The church is great. This isn't about you, but I've seen so many Christians and and looked at the fact that they weren't able to live out what they said they believed in. And therefore I've come to the conclusion that none of this is true. And I've walked away from the Lord altogether. As I look back on what happened there, here's what I think happened. I think just like most people, I think doubts begin to, creep into his heart about God. That happens to a lot of us. It's okay. But instead of taking those doubts and bringing them to Jesus, which is what we're called to do, 
He began to turn his eyes into the world and see all of our failures and, and, and those doubts began to grow into cynicism. Cynicism about the church, cynicism about church people and believers and that ultimately led him to walk away from the Lord altogether. And the verses that we're gonna look at today, um, it's, it's immediately following John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist, as Jesus is saying these words, he's in prison, he's about to be beheaded for his, his faith. And we see John the Baptist actually doubting whether Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And, and, and what we're going to see, in, not what we're going to see today, but we see in that story of John the Baptist is that Jesus doesn't really have a problem with sincere doubts. That he wants us to take those doubts to him, as I said before. But what Jesus is going to address after the story of John the Baptist is the tendency of our hearts when those doubts come, not to go to Jesus, but to let those things drift into cynicism and apathy. And we're going to see that Jesus had a really big problem with those two things, with cynicism and apathy. And I want to warn you in advance today that what Jesus says in these verses that we're going to look at are, are some very difficult things. He's going to say some hard stuff. And so if you're a believer here today, you're a Christian, you'd call yourself a Christian, and you're a person that you'd say, I struggle with a critical spirit or I struggle with cynicism, or I struggle with apathy. If that's sort of where you're at, and you honestly would say that, I want you to lean into this text today and lean into the word of God today because we're gonna see how absolutely critical it is that we voraciously fight against those things if they're creeping up in our hearts. So let's look at them together. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now listen, guys, for the sake of time, I'm not gonna dive deep into those verses, but verse 12 is actually really important to understanding the rest of what Jesus is saying. So listen very carefully. In verse 12, Jesus says this. Let's look at verse 12 again. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now, at the at very first glance, that sounds like a really negative statement. It sounds like Jesus is saying that there's all this violence that's been done to the kingdom of God, and in some sense, that's true. Literally, kind of at that moment, John the Baptist is about to be beheaded for his faith. But when you look at the context of what Jesus is saying, you dig down into the meaning of the verse, it actually has a more positive meaning to it. And here's what Jesus is sort of literally saying. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is vigorously pressing itself forward, and it will advance by vigorous people. Now here's what that means. It means that the kingdom of God is on an unstoppable path forward. Jesus talked about that. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so the kingdom of God is moving forward. It's on an unstoppable path. And, and the people that it's gonna be advanced through are people who vigorously wanna see that happen in their lives. In other words, 
Jesus is saying, look, you can't be one foot in the kingdom and one foot out of the kingdom. You can't be half in and half out. He's saying if the kingdom of God is going to advance through your life, if it's going to move through your life, you got to be all in. And then what he does next, because Jesus is going to give us two things that can derail us from living this kingdom advancing life. Remember in my very first sermon here at Sagemont, I talked about how we're going to be a lion chasing church. Well, Jesus is about to tell, tell us, he's going to give us two things that will derail you from being a lion chaser. It'll keep the kingdom of God from advancing through your life vigorously. And those two things are cynicism and apathy. All right? Let's look at verse 15. Matthew eleven fifteen. 15. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, what Jesus just said is, look, this is really important. And so if you're able to receive this today, if you're able to hear this today, you need to hear it. Because it's a big deal. And then he says some interesting things in verse 16. He said, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. Okay? Everybody look there at verse 16. And I want you to look at the phrase, but to what shall I compare this generation? That was a common phrase in ancient literature that basically meant, hey, I want to give you an analogy. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want to give you an analogy of why the kingdom of God is not vigorously being advanced through your life. So this is a picture I want to paint for you of why you're not advancing the kingdom. Here's an analogy. And then he says in verse 16, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation that is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And so Jesus looks at this crowd and says, here's why the kingdom of God is not advancing through your life. Let me give you an analogy. He says, because your generation is like a bunch of kids sitting in the marketplace and we played the flute for you and you didn't dance and we sang a funeral song for you and you didn't mourn. What in the world does that mean? Like, what, is, what in the world, Jesus, are you talking about? Okay, here's what he means. When I studied this, I was like, that's actually really cool. It makes a ton of sense what he's talking about. So he says, here's the analogy. You're like a bunch of kids. You're in the marketplace. We played a flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a funeral song for you. We, you didn't mourn. And so here's what I learned. Back in the day, this was before video games. This was before basketball. And so what kids would do is they would come to their, with their parents to the marketplace and the parents would go in the market and they would buy the stuff that they needed to buy and the kids would all gather in the middle of the marketplace and they would play two games together. The first game that they would play is called wedding. And so what they would do is all the kids would get together and they would perform a fake wedding. They'd perform like a mock wedding, like two of them were getting married. Sounds like a blast. Anyway, so um, they do a mock wedding and then after the fake wedding, they would have a fake reception pretend like they were having a party and dancing and stuff. And this kid would pull out a flute. It was the flute playing kid. And he would pull out a flute and he'd start playing and everybody would just start dancing like they were having a reception. Okay, sound like fun. The other game that they played um, goes next level. It was called funeral. 
Same group of kids, when they got done with a fake funeral, they would pretend like somebody died and they would perform this mock funeral. Same kid that could play the flute, pull out the flute, and he'd start playing a funeral dirge, a, a, a dirge, a, a funeral song, and then all the kids would start wailing and mourning. And those were the two games that they played, wedding and funeral. It's weird, I know, all right? But here's the deal. Some of y'all have teenage boys. Uh, some of y'all have uh, teenage grandsons. And you're complaining because they play too many video games, right? But I was like, if my son, my 16-year-old son, if I walked into his room and one of his buddies was playing dead on the floor and they're all you know, crying and wailing and stuff, I'll be like, hey, idiot, get off the floor. Y'all go play video games, amen? It's really weird, but that's what they played. So now that you know what it means, let's look at the text again. Jesus says, but what shall I compare this generation? Let me give you an analogy. It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. So here's what Jesus is referring to. Again, back in the day, kids would play wedding and funeral. And inevitably, there would always be some kid that when the flute started playing, he would stand on the sidelines and he'd say, I ain't singing. I'm not dancing. Jesus is saying, look, when the flute started playing, there's always this kid that, that sort of removes himself, stands on the sidelines instead of singing, instead of mourning, they fold their arms and they start criticizing everything that was going on. You might've had a friend like that growing up. I did. His name was Greg. Greg, if you're listening, I'm sorry, bro. Throw you under the bus. But man, every game we played, every game we played, he, was, he just had this critical spirit. He would always find something that he didn't like about the way he, we were playing. And within a few minutes, he's taken his stuff and he's gone home. And Jesus is looking at the crowd and he's saying, that is what this generation is just like. Instead of following me, Instead of going all in, instead of being a person that is vigorously advancing the kingdom of God, you're just like those kids that refuse to join in the dancing and you refuse to join in the morning and you're standing on the sidelines criticizing everything that's going on. And what Jesus does next is he actually gives them two examples of their criticality, of their critical spirit. He gives them two specific examples of how they were critical and how that's sort of removing them and putting them on the sidelines and keeping them from seeing the big picture of what God was doing in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 18. So Matthew eleven eighteen. 18. Jesus speaking again, he said, first example. He said, for John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. For John came neither eating or drinking, and, and everybody said, he's, he's got a demon. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's showing that John the Baptist was all in for the kingdom of God. And we know that about John the Baptist. Brother was all in for the kingdom. Y'all with me? He was a minimalist. He did not uh, live in a nice house. He lived in the desert. He did not wear awesome fine clothes or robes. He wore um, like a camel's hair clothes. He didn't eat fine, good food. He ate locusts, which sounds awesome, but he ate, lo he ate bugs and honey. 
And, and Johnny B did those things, right? Because he did not want anything to hinder him from advancing the kingdom of God. He didn't want anything in his life to keep the kingdom of God from vigorously moving forward through him, okay? But what was the people's response to John the Baptist? They didn't look at him and go, man, look at the way you deny yourself. You're so godly. Look at the way you're sacrificing for the kingdom of God. They looked at him and said, well, the reason you're doing that stuff is because you're demon-possessed. It's the only reason you would do it. Standing on the sidelines as John the Baptist has come, flutes playing, and they're going, man, the only reason you're doing that stuff is because you're demon-possessed. Jesus then turns and says, guess what? Y'all found a way to criticize me too. Look at verse 18. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, he's a glutton, or drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus said, look, John didn't eat good food, he didn't drink wine, and you criticized him. He said, I came, I did drink wine, I did eat good food, I did go to weddings and parties, and you called me a glutton and a drunkard. You criticized me too. And so when John didn't drink wine, they say he's crazy. When Jesus did drink wine, they said he's a drunkard. When John refused to eat good food, they said he's demon-possessed. When Jesus chose to eat good food, they said, you're a glutton. Everybody listen to me real carefully. Jesus looked at the crowd, and he said, you're just like one of those kids who sat on the sidelines, you refused to get in the game, and no matter how I lived, no matter how John lived, because of your critical and cynical hearts, you found some excuse not to follow me, and you walked away. So what Jesus is showing us clearly in this story is that there's some things in your life that are worse than doubt about God. There's some things in your life that can pop into your heart that are worse than doubt. As a matter of fact, Jesus never really had a problem with people with sincere doubts. But when people came to him with sincere doubts, what did he do? He comforted them. When John the Baptist came to him with doubts, he comforted John. When Thomas came to Jesus with doubts, he comforted, or rather Thomas came to him, he comforted Thomas. But listen carefully, when Jesus encountered criticism, when he encountered cynicism, he offers no comfort. But he says, y'all are like a bunch of whiny kids. You sit on the sidelines and you find something that's wrong with everything that we're saying and that we're doing, and because of it, you missed the beauty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's standing right in front of your face. What Jesus is teaching here is that your sincere doubts do not bother God. They do not bother him. But if you have a cynical, critical spirit, that is a different story, Sage Mother. It's a different story. One question I'd like to answer is like, why do Christians become cynical? Why do they become cynical about God? Why do they become cynical about Christians? Why do they become cynical about the church? Well, in my experience, Christians don't first walk down the road to cynicism because of Jesus. Christians first walk down the road to cynicism because of Jesus' followers. That's why they do it. 
okay? I could tell you more stories than I can count of, you know, just like the guy that, that I discipled, the people that were supposedly walking with Jesus, but then something happened in their life. They, they got in a conflict with someone, some church person wounded them, some church or church leader didn't meet their expectations or hurt them. Um, some conflict arose with another believer and little seeds of criticality and little seeds of cynicism began to, to grow and fester in their heart. And can I just say something? That when that happens, when little seeds of criticality and cynicism begin to grow in a believer's heart, I want you to know that Satan loves it. He loves it if that's happening to you. Because Satan knows that if he can get you to become critical and cynical of your church, if he, he knows if he can get you to become uh, cynical and critical of other Christians, then what you'll do is you'll start guarding your heart. You'll guard your heart and then you'll start distancing yourself from other Christians and from the church. And he really loves that because he knows if he can get you to harden your heart to God's people. It's just a matter of time before you harden your heart to God himself. I want to read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. He's sort of talking about this tendency that when we experience hurt or being wounded, that what we do is we just wall off our hearts. But when we do that, we're in a really bad place. C.S. Lewis said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything, your heart will be broken. Can I get an amen? If you love anything, your heart will be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a coffin of your selfishness. But listen to this. He says, but in that casket, safe, dark, Motionless and airless, it will change. Your heart will change. No, it will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. He's clearly speaking about the dangers of criticism, of a critical spirit. He's teaching about the dangers of cynicism. And so, Sagemont, if you see those things in your life, if you see those things in your heart, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is saying those things are a danger to your soul. And you simply cannot keep going like nothing's wrong because it's a really big deal. And so maybe for whatever reason, you've grown cynical or critical about another believer somebody that's hurt you, somebody that's done something that you really disagree with, I want you to hear me. If that's where you're at right now and you don't do anything about it, listen, you have given Satan a powerful foothold in your life. Um, if it's possible, forgive him. Just forgive him if you can if it requires you addressing that issue, and a lot of times it does, you do it. You do it. Don't sit there critical and cynical. You go do it. Do it with love. Do it with kindness, but you do it. Again, because allowing that stuff to remain in your heart is something Jesus had a big problem with. 
Maybe some of you have grown cynical with the church, like the church as a whole, like the big C church. You're growing cynical about it because of all the stuff going on. Maybe some of you are growing cynical about this church. New pastor comes in and you don't know if you like him or not. Listen, guys. People ask me all the time, Matt, what's your vision for the church? And I don't have anything really specific yet because I'm just trying to get to know you. And I'm gonna wait for the spirit to reveal that. But here's one part of the vision of this church I know for a stone cold fact. And that is for the kingdom of God to be vigorously advanced through vigorous people at Sagemont Church for the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. That's one thing we know for a fact. We know it. We don't have to do a meeting about that one. We don't have to big a presentation or raise money or nothing. We want the kingdom of God to advance through vigorous people right here at this church, not for my glory, not for the glory of Sagemont, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so for whatever reason, if you find yourself growing cynical or critical, you again have given Satan a dangerous foothold in your heart. If that's you, number one, if that's you, if that's where you're at, number one, please don't spread your cynicism. Please. Because I would imagine that there's only one thing that Jesus had a bigger problem with than a cynical heart. And that is someone who spread their cynicism to other Christians. And so number one, that's it. Don't spread your cynicism. Number two, do not rest till you find healing for that cynicism. Don't rest. Make it happen. Pursue reconciliation. Pursue explanation. And once you've pursued those things, if you're still not at a place of peace and rest in your heart, then, then I want you to go find a church that you can fully support. But to be in a place where you remain in cynicism and criticality about God, about his people, and about his church is a dangerous place to stay. And so when Jesus dealt with doubt again, he comforted it. But when he addressed critical spirit, cynicism, he raises the bar. He says, that's not okay. It's not okay. That stuff has the power to keep you from walking well with Jesus. Okay, now, right after that, he raises the bar again. He raises the bar again and he says, look, there's actually something that's worse than doubt and it's worse than cynicism and a critical spirit. What do you think that is? What do you think Jesus is gonna say is worse than being a person with a critical spirit? He says, one thing that's worse, it's apathy. It's indifference. Let's read this together. Matthew eleven twenty. 20. He says, then, so this is immediately following. He says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And Jesus said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it, ooh, he's, oh, here you go, Jesus. Here we go. He says, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it's gonna be for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted into heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tall. Well, this is, this is crazy right here. He says, I tell you, he's talking about Capernaum. This is where Jesus hung out. He says, but I tell you, Capernaum, it's gonna be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it is for you. Sagemont, that might be one of the most scathing rebukes Jesus ever gives in the whole Bible. And what is he rebuking? He's rebuking apathy. He's rebuking indifference about him. In the scriptures, he rebukes three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And I want you to look again, verse 20, at why he rebukes him here. He says, then he began to denounce the cities, listen, where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. And so here's three cities. Everybody look at me. There's three cities where Jesus had done the majority of his miraculous works. These three cities is where Jesus had displayed the majority of his divinity and his power and his miracles. He showed them the kingdom of God. And what was their response? When they saw with their own eyes the divinity and the power and the glory of majesty of Jesus, what was their response? Nothing. They didn't hate him. They didn't follow him. They just went on with their lives like nothing had happened. They saw his power. They saw the miracles. They saw God show up. They saw the kingdom show up and their response is okay. And they went on with their lives. I want you to watch just how serious he takes the sin of apathy. Look at verse 23 again. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted into heaven? In other words, Capernaum, you going to heaven? Nope. You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than it is for you. Jesus said that those of us who have experienced his power, that have seen his glory, that have seen his miracles, but we respond with apathy and indifference and we do not turn from our sin. He said, you think you're going to heaven, but you're not. He said, you're gonna be brought down to Hades. And then he says something fascinating. He said, it's gonna be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it's gonna be for you. Golly, that is intense, says mom. Because I don't know if you know about Sodom and Gomorrah, but those people were some hardcore sinners. They loved them some sin. They did some crazy, crazy stuff. And yet, everybody check this out. Jesus said, it's gonna be easier on the day of judgment for those people that were just straight running hardcore sinners than it's gonna be for good people who saw the glory and the power of God, but just went on with their lives like nothing happened. It's an amazing statement. That's why Jesus says, look, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of, out of my mouth. And so it says, why? Listen, I, matter of fact, if you just don't hear anything, listen to the next couple of sentences. Why is, does Jesus come down so hard on just sort of apathy? 
see your power, see your glory. I'm going to keep on in my sin. Why does he come down so hard on apathy and indifference? Because here's what apathy and indifference is. Apathy and indifference is you looking at God and you saying, God, I see your beauty. God, I see your power. I see your glory. I see your majesty, but I don't care. And that's why he comes down on it. I'm going to say something pretty hard, guys, but I, I want you to listen carefully because this really is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're, if you're a person that's struggling with sincere doubt or you're seeking, or honestly, if, if you're even struggling with sin, but you're voraciously fighting against it, Jesus was incredibly patient with people in those situations. But if you're the kind of person that just comes to church, couple times a month, you sing some songs, you listen to sermons, and you sort of see and experience the power and the glory and the majesty of God, but you have absolutely no intention whatsoever of ever giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Listen, don't look at me. What Jesus Christ just said, if that's you, it's what he said, not me, what Jesus said, red letters. He said it would be better for you to walk out those doors and never give God a second thought. Never give him another thought in your whole life. It'd be better for you to do that than for you to spend the rest of your life coming in and out of church, seeing his glory and just living your life however you want to live. It's one of the most difficult things he ever said. And his point is that his beauty, his power, his majesty is worth our lives. It's worth our lives. It's worth our hearts. So church, I'll end with this. Again, if, if, if you're one of those folks, you're struggling with cynicism, you're stu- struggling with a critical spirit, again, Jesus' point, this whole thing is that that's a dangerous path. It has the power and the ability to harden your heart to the Lord. And so if that's you today, one, I told you to seek forgiveness and all that stuff, but here's the other thing I want you to do. Here's your application. If you're like, Matt, that's me, you got a critical spirit, I'm dealing with cynicism. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your eyes off of Jesus' followers and I want you to put your eyes on Jesus. Because listen, guys, listen. There's a reason, there's a reason that Jesus had to come and die for us. It's because we're all messed up. Every single one of us is broken. We're messed up people. And I don't know if you figured it out yet, but broken, messed up people will let you down. Stop expecting them not to. But Jesus Christ is not broken. He's not messed up. And he's the only one that will never let you down. So if you're like, Matt, I'm dealing with cynicism, that's just a simple step you can do is you can stop looking at the person you have an issue with or the church or the pastor or whatever and just look at Jesus. And he'll never let you down. Um, And here's the other thing. I think this exact same thing is true for apathy. If you're sort of in a dry season in your life, if you're at a place that... You're like, Matt, honestly, man, I just don't care anymore. I'm I'm, I'm not fighting my sin anymore. That is a dangerous, dangerous place. And if that's you, I want you to get on your knees sometime today, and I want you to beg the God of the universe to wake you up. Because there is a day coming, and it's called the Day of Judgment. And one thing we know for certain is that you and I are going to stand face to face before the throne of Almighty God. You, 
you alone will stand before God and his throne on judgment day. And I'm going to make a couple of promises to you. Promise number one, on that day, you will not be critical. We know that. When we are in the presence of God, we are not critical of other people. When Isaiah entered the presence of God, what did he do? He dropped to the floor. He said, woe is me. <laughs> For I am a man of unclean lips. When you're standing in the presence of God and you will, you're not going to be critical of other people. Here's the other thing you can take to the bank. When you stand before Almighty God, when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you will not be apathetic. Think about it. The throne of a God. Rainbows, lightning, pills of thunder, living creatures that you've never even seen before. They got a bunch of eyes and stuff. Their wings are flapping and they're crying out all day and all night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In that moment, you're gonna be feeling a lot of stuff, but apathy will not be one of them. I promise you, I promise you. And so if you're in that place, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't care anymore. I'd beg the Lord to wake you up. So if you feel those things creeping in your heart, I'm done, just listen. If you feel those things creeping in your heart, doubt, cynicism, criticality, apathy, indifference, those things aren't from God. They're from Satan. And they all need the same response. In the words of the great hymn writer, he said, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace.